Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast. We are so glad you're with us. We're a Bible-based church from Ontario, Canada, and together we're on a mission to reach people far from Christ and see them become devoted followers of Him. Do you ever feel abandoned by God or wonder if He cares about you? Like, if He really loves you, why do bad things keep happening in your life? In this message, we'll learn what we need to remember on our worst days. With that, let's turn to our Pastor Nate and part four of our Doubting God series, When You Feel Abandoned by God. All right, welcome back, everybody. We are in week four of a five-week message series from Life Church called Doubting God. And in this message series, what we're actually talking about is what do we do with the doubts and the questions that we inevitably will experience in this life? Uh, we've been learning through the series that great men and women of faith, like David, like Peter, and even John the Baptist, wrestled with doubts. They had questions that needed to be answered, and you and I are are no different. When I was a kid growing up in church, I was told. Don't doubt, just believe. There wasn't room to wrestle. And so this message series is all about creating room and space to wrestle with our doubts, to wrestle with our questions. And I believe that the church and our homes should be the safest place where we can bring our questions and we can bring our doubts. God is not intimidated by our doubts and our questions. In fact, one of the things we've been learning through this series is that a faith is not the absence of doubt. Faith doesn't mean that you have no doubts. Faith is an act of trusting Jesus in spite of your doubts and in spite of your questions. Because honestly, every single one of us will have to decide when we have a doubt, uh, when we have a question, am I going to walk away from my faith or am I going to walk towards Jesus? And really this message series is all about encouraging us to do exactly that, to move in Jesus's direction, to take a step of faith and to bring our questions and doubts and our fears to him. So today we're actually going to tackle a question that is a bit of a, it's a bit of a stumper. And for a lot of people, um, if you grew up in church, maybe less so, but if you, if you didn't grow up around church, then this is one of those questions that you just perhaps have asked and wrestled with, or maybe someone uh, close to you has. And here's the question. The question is, why would a good God allow bad things to happen? And often we find ourselves asking a question like this when we go through uh, a crisis, right? Maybe you get a diagnosis of illness or someone you love uh, is going through something really tragic and you go, where's God? Why would he allow this to happen? Or maybe, maybe it's a financial crisis or maybe it's abuse of some sort. And you're like, why, why would a good God allow a person to go through this kind of thing? Maybe it's war or loss or loneliness or mental health. So there's just... All of these things that happen in this world that we experience, these troubles, difficulties, and issues, and we often wonder, well, where's God in all of this? And one of the things I've noticed is that it's in these dark and difficult moments that people either walk away from their faith or they lean in and they find God in the midst of these moments. And so, again, I want to invite you to take another look. We're asking the question, why does a good God allow bad things to happen? It's a good question. It's a fair question, but I think we ask it wrongly. Perhaps we should add a few words to the end and ask it in this way. Why does a good God allow bad things to happen to good people? Now, the reason why I added the good people is because um, 
Most of us are totally fine with bad things happening to bad people. If somebody commits atrocious crimes, murder, genocide, we're okay with them going away for life or even, you know, being executed. It's like, hey, they they deserve that. We're okay with bad things happening to people who made really bad choices and who deserve it. So really, we ought to reframe the question in a better way to say, why does a good God allow bad things to happen to good people? Now, of course, when we reframe the question, it leads us to the next issue, and that is, who are good people? Right. And so, of course, we know like God is good. Jesus said there's none good but God alone. So like Jesus is there. And then at the bottom, you've got like the embodiment of evil, Satan. And maybe right above him is like Hitler and Stalin, some of these terrible people in history that killed millions of people. But then there's like, you know, all the different levels. And we kind of work our way up to those people that we just avoid if we can. And then there's the average people like our family and friends that love us. And they're like good people, but they mess up sometimes. And then there's the above average. And most of us, if we're honest, we think we're above average, which mathematically speaking, if we all think we're above average, we're all just average, but that's, that's a math joke. And so then we continue to move up. And again, we have those people we look up to and admire, like they're good people. And so when someone who's young and innocent or someone who's lived an exemplary life, faces a difficulty, an illness, a tragedy, we go, how is this fair? And when we ask this question, we actually reveal something about our heart, that we actually have a a somewhat karmic view of God. So it's like, good thing, good people have good things, and bad people have bad things, and that's the way the world works. And that's, you know, in some religions we call it karma, it's like, you get what you deserve. And there's a principle in the Bible called sowing and reaping, So if you honor God and do good things, then good things will come your way. And if you're evil and sinful and selfish, then bad things will likely come your way. That's sowing and reaping, you know, another way to say karma. However, what we discover very quickly if we've lived for more than a few weeks is that people don't always get what they deserve. Things aren't always fair. And so we have to wrestle with the question of why then would a good God allow these bad things to happen to people who don't uh, deserve it? Now, when we ask that question, it kind of leads us to the next question, which would be simply this. Why wouldn't God just create a world where there was no pain and suffering? Why wouldn't he just, like, why would he even allow this stuff to take place? And what's interesting about that question is the scriptures answer it in the book of Genesis when it tells us that he created the heavens and the earth, and he created all the living creatures and the plants, and he created the first man and the first woman. And you know what he said at the end of it all? He said, it is good. And then what happens is, if you read the story in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, made in the image and likeness of God, in a special and unique relationship with their creator, walking in the garden, they have been given by God the option to choose, the free will, which allows them to then decide whether they're going to obey God or choose themselves, whether they're going to do right or wrong. This is a freedom that God has given each and every one of us, and so... If you've read the story, then you know Adam and Eve choose to sin. They choose to reject and rebel against God. And that relationship they had is broken. They're cast out of the garden. And the scriptures tell us that because of their sin, death comes into the world. Because of their sin, man and God who created our are separated and we're cast out. Because of their sin, we die. We experience disease, suffering. So... You've got this world that is broken. We live in a world that is fallen, broken, and sinful. That's the reality. And again, you might think to yourself, that's not fair. 
How is it fair that I live in a broken world because of something my great, 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 great grandparents did? In reality, we all live with the consequences of the things that the people who came before us did. For example, if you live in Canada, it's probably because either last generation or five generations ago, someone in your family line decided to come to this country, sold everything they had, went into the great unknown to come to this country so that you could now have a job, an education, free health care, four meals a day, when other people are being born into countries where they do not have those things. How is that fair? It's not fair, right? If you uh, grew up with a, a parent who was uh, abusive, or alcoholic, uh, you live with the effects of it. It's not fair. So we live in a broken and sinful world. So I'm kind of setting the stage as we ask this question. Why would a good God allow bad things to happen to good people? When we come to the scriptures, uh, we uh, run into sort of some theology. And I'm going to try to take a very complex idea and boil it down in its simplest form and just kind of lay it out on the screen here in front of you. Over on one hand, when you read the Bible, you discover something called the sovereignty of God. It's throughout the scriptures. And what that means is it means that God is sovereign. He is over. He rules over. He's in charge of. Uh, he knows the end from the beginning. He had a plan for you before you were born. So God is like, he's, he's, he knows all. He's in charge of all. So he's sovereign. That's a big idea. It's all through the Bible. There's no denying it. But then there's this other idea that I've already introduced, which is free will. God gives to us the ability to choose, to choose to love him or reject him choosing to be selfish or arrogant. So we have this choice. So we have God over here who chooses, decides, ordains, and rules, and then he gives us some freedom. Now, here's where the theology gets interesting. How much of these two, I call them, um, I call these tension-filled pairs. So God's sovereignty and our free will somehow intermesh. Both of them exist. Both of them are scriptural. The argument within the church is how much of each. So some theological groups, some churches and denominations lean really heavily over here on the sovereignty of God. They're like, man, it's basically almost all God, and we just have like little decisions. Other people theologically say, actually, no, it's a lot of our decisions over here, and we make our decisions, and, uh, and then and God just sort of oversees it. So you've got this, this wide variety of beliefs. And um, what's interesting to me is that while Christians fight about these things, about where the line is between God's sovereignty and our free will, People who don't know Christ are walking away from the church. That's sad. But let me share with you for just a second how your theology, what you believe about God, actually impacts your behavior. Because what you, uh, what you believe actually informs how you behave. A lot of people don't realize this. They say they believe stuff. But in reality, if you, if you actually look at their behaviors, you discover what they really believe. So let me say, for example, if you believe that God is totally sovereign over everything... And then you go to the doctor and get a diagnosis that you have some incurable disease. Well, if you're looking at it through this frame of God's sovereignty, you might say, well, clearly God either gave it to me. He gave me this to teach me something. Or if we slide the notch over this way a little bit, you might say, well, God's allowed it to happen. If you believe that, that you're ill because we live in a fallen, broken, sinful world, and God actually wants you well, but you're ill because you're in this sinful, fallen world, then over here you might pray for God to heal you, where if God gave it to you, you wouldn't. And so a lot of our behaviors actually are informed by our fundamental beliefs about who God is and the way that he works, which is why this stuff is so, so important. Again, without getting into all the details, let me just, let me just point out one last thing. Um, we love to ask the question, 
why do bad things happen to good people? But I wonder sometimes whether we shouldn't be asking a different question. And here's the question that I think about. Why did the worst things happen to the best person? Here's where the biblical narrative comes in. We, as human beings, have fallen short. We're uh, separated from God because of our sin. But God, in His sovereignty and in His grace, sends His own Son to live the perfect life, to go to the cross, to bear our sins, to bear our judgment, so that He, one person, Adam, sinned, and all of us fell into sin, and one person would provide a means of salvation. His name is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so He comes and dies upon the cross and takes our punishment so that we could be reconciled to God. So even though we live in this world that is unfair, we receive this unfair grace that allows us to come to him. And so I want to turn to Jesus on the cross. He's been beaten. He's been abandoned. He's been rejected. And in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 45, it says this. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour, three hours, darkness overshadows Jesus on the cross. And around the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice. Imagine him screaming at the top of his lungs, saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. That is, and here's the interpretation, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In this moment, Jesus feels alone. He feels like his father has turned his face away from him as the sins of the world come upon Christ. As he represents us in this moment, he feels abandoned by God. He cries out, where are you, God? So if you've ever cried out, God, where are you in this moment? If you've ever felt alone, if you've ever felt like God is not present, you're not alone. Uh, Jesus himself on the cross experienced this. Now, it's important to note that the Bible is actually really clear. Uh, the Bible does not promise us a life free from trouble. In fact, it promises us we will have it. It does not promise us a life free from sickness, free from hurt, disappointment, free from uh, the effects of sin in this sinful world. But here's what it does promise. I've got a few passages to share with you. Psalm 46 verse 1 says this. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help. In trouble. So when we're in the darkest moment, he's present to help. When we're going through the most difficult things, he is with us. Deuteronomy 31 6 says this Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, your enemy, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. There's his presence. He will not leave you or forsake you. Now, this is Moses speaking, but guess what? Jesus is going to repeat these very same words. Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God, and I will strengthen and help you. I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. God's like, whatever you experience, whatever you're going through in this fallen, broken world, I'm with you, I'm present, and I'm holding you up. I am your strength. Now, the Bible's very clear. If you belong to Jesus, he is present with you and he is holding you up. But here's the thing that's really important. I want to, we've talked a lot about big ideas and theology. Now let's get practical. Just because the Bible says that God is with you and you're never alone does not mean you'll always feel like he's with you and you're never alone. And just because it is true doesn't mean it will feel true. Uh, so what do we do? I want to share with you today, really practically, three things that we can do, three things that we can do. 
in response to when we feel like God is not with us. And there will be moments in our lives when we feel like He is not with us. Here's the first thing we want to do. Number one, remind yourself that God loves you and that He is with you. Sometimes we just need to open up and have scriptures in front of us and we just need to read it, put it on a mirror, put it on your cell phone, somewhere you'll see it and just be reminded, I will never leave you or forsake you. I'll never leave. It's like, okay, I feel alone. I feel abandoned, betrayed. Nobody's with me. God's like, I'm with you. I've told you again and again and again. We just need to be reminded that he is. he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. He says it over and over and over again. And because God is with you, you're never, ever alone. Just keep reminding yourself of that. Hebrews four fifteen and 16 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. So we come to a God with our doubts, with our failures, who understands what it feels like to be abandoned, betrayed. He knows what all of that feels like. He's not a distant and far off God. He is a God who has come and experienced life in this fallen world, just like we're experiencing, but he did it without sin. And then he goes on to say in verse 16, then let us come with confidence and draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. So, so we can bring our doubts to him. He's not intimidated. We can bring our questions to him. He's not intimidated. He understands uh, the things that we are experiencing. And, And I'll be honest. Um, Sometimes when I've prayed and asked God for clarity on things that I don't understand, sometimes I get an answer. Sometimes God reveals to me why something happened. But many times he actually, he doesn't. And um, I think it's really important for for us when we're experiencing these, these difficulties and hardships that we recognize that this that we're going through is a season. It's, it's a part of the story, but it is not the entire story. So we know in Jesus's case, he's suffering. He's on the cross. He's crying out, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? But this is not the end of the story. Three days later, Jesus rises from the grave victorious. He ascends to heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the father. And now salvation is available to all who trust in him. New life. Heaven, all of that is opened up through the things that he experienced. It was a part of the story. It was a dark moment, but it was not the entire story. And it is true for you. The things that we experience in this life, they're not the whole thing. They're just a season and a part of it. In 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve, it says this, For now we see dimly as in a mirror, but then one day face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. One day, you and I will be with God, and some of the questions we have and the things we don't understand will be revealed to us, and we'll see it clear as day. But right now, we open up the Bible, we look out at our life and our family, and we we look through like a foggy glass, and we see bits of, of what God is doing, but we don't always know. But we can be confident that one day, all will be uh, revealed. So number one, remind yourself right, that God loves you and He's with you. We just need to keep doing that. Put it on a mirror. Stick it somewhere you'll see it. Number two, we need to turn why God, that question that is fair that we're asking, we have to turn that into what God. And here's why, because many people listen to me today, you're still asking why God, something happened in your past, you lost somebody you loved, something tragic happened, and for 10 years you've just been going, why, why God, why God? And, And God hasn't revealed the answer to you. And at some point you have to move forward and you have to begin to say, what God here's here's what I mean see 
why God is looking at the past, trying to figure out why something happened. But the what God says, hey, since that's happened, what can you do in and through my life in spite of it, because of it? What could you do moving forward? One is past and one is future oriented. And so when we say what God, we begin to ask questions like, what can I learn from this? Now, when I was a kid, sometimes people would get sick and they'd be like, well, God's trying to teach you a lesson. And I'm not sure that God makes his children sick to teach them lessons. I'm a dad. I certainly wouldn't want that for my kids. But when my kids go through difficult things because they're in a fallen, broken world, like, for example, they go to school and they're bullied. They're called names. Some kid hits them. As a dad, I would love to just stop all that from happening. But I know that the best thing I can do for them is to help them walk through it and to walk through it with them, to encourage them. Hey, what can you learn? Because this person is doing this, what can you learn? How can you grow? How can your character improve? And sometimes I think we just want God to take away our problems. And what I think God really wants to do is he wants to transform us and change us and help us to grow and become more mature. And so sometimes we lose sight. We're so like, why did this happen? Instead of saying, what God can you do in and through me in spite of this? So we begin to ask questions like, what can I learn? What might God want to show me as I walk through this difficult time? That's a great question to ask. Uh, Hebrews 5, 8 says this, although he, Jesus was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Jesus learned some things about human nature and frailty as he suffered for us. And in the same way, God will teach us if we are willing and open to learn through whatever we experience in this life. We can ask questions like this. What could God do through me? It's amazing when I meet Christians who have experienced deep tragedies and hurts, who have, who have either gotten the answer of why it happened, or maybe they haven't, but they've moved to what God, and they've begun to say, hey, I was hurt, and now I can help others because of the things I've learned through this hurt. Hey, I've experienced hardship and loss, and now I can walk with somebody through this same situation, and, and God will use me in this way. It's really incredible when someone moves from asking why all the time to beginning to say, God, what would you do in and what would you do through me? Hebrews 12, 2 says this, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So Jesus went through this difficult rejection, pain, death, all of it. And he did that because there was something on the other side. There was a joy set before him. You and I uh, were the purpose behind his pain. And so Jesus was willing to go through it for something good on the other side. And I just wonder sometimes, If we don't just get hung up on the why and fail to move on to the what. Now what? God, in spite of what I've experienced in this broken world, what would you do in and through me? What are you teaching me? How do I move forward and bless others? And here's the third thing. When you can't trace God's hand, trust God's heart. In my life, I've gone through difficult moments, loss, tragedy, like many of you. And I'll tell you something. In those moments, I don't always see the hand of God. I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to know what God's up to. I don't always know what God's up to. So sometimes I'm going through life and I'm going like, where are you in this moment? Five years, 10 years later, I look back and I see exactly where God was working. But in the moment, I can't see it. And it's in those moments when we don't know what God's doing, that we have to trust his heart, that we have to trust that we have a good father who loves us and will take all of this and use it somehow for, for our good. I want to go back to the cross scene. So Jesus is on the cross. He screams out, why have you forsaken me? 
He's asking the question, why? And then immediately we see what he's going to say next in verse 46 of Luke 23. Then Jesus calls out with a loud voice and he says this, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathes his last. So, so Jesus is like, where are you? Why? And then he stops and he goes, Father, into your hands I commit. He he says, I don't understand why. I don't know where you are in this moment, but I trust you. And I think that at the end of the day, each and every one of us are being invited into an, an invitation to trust our God and trust our Savior. Jesus felt abandonment. He felt alone. He felt all of those things that you and I feel, but he chose to trust his Father in spite of it. And so maybe you're listening today and you're in deep pain. And that's... It's real. The pain is real. But in spite of that pain to say, I trust you. You know, um, again, one of those things we talk about theology, our theology, what we believe actually drives how we behave. If you honestly believe that God is an angry, vindictive tyrant, then whenever you doubt or whenever you mess up, you're going to run away from him. But if like Jesus, you believe that he is a good father who loves you, who sent his son to die for you, who receives you with open arms, then all of a sudden your response in moments of pain, difficulty uh, will be very different. Even though you feel alone, you say, I trust you. I can't see my way out of this situation. I trust you. I, I'm in this dark. It seems like this will never end, but it, I trust you. I've been abandoned by people. I've been hurt by the church. I've been hurt by my family, but I'm going to choose to trust you. That's the invitation that we're invited into. Why do good things happen? Or sorry, why do bad things happen to good people? We don't always know the answer. We know we live in a fallen, sinful world. We know that we have a sovereign God who's in control. Both of those things are true. We can argue about all the logistics. But in the end, we have a good and faithful God who's at work through all things, who invites us to trust him. And that's what I want to invite you to, to do today. So as we close, would you join with me as we pray together? Heavenly Father, thank you for every person listening today. And Lord, in spite of whatever we're experiencing in this life, whether it's a present trial, difficulty, illness, loss, or maybe something that's happened in the past, and that why is so loud, and it's just been haunting uh, each person. And so, God, I just pray that through the midst of it, each of us would understand and know your love and your compassion and care. That you're not a God that's distant and far off, but you're a God that is near and present in every single moment. I pray right now that anybody who's been sensing that you are far and feeling alone, that they would sense your presence even but for a moment so that they could know that your words are true that you would never leave or forsake us. And Lord, that we would be able to take that truth and in spite of our feelings, embrace it and lean on it and trust you no matter what we go through. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, that's it from us. Thank you so much for joining. Please stay connected with us. Be sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's Pathway Church PTBO. Hey, God is at work in this world and we feel so blessed that we get to be a part of what he is doing. Have a great day wherever you're at and we hope to see you soon.